to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1. That's on page uh, 553 of your church Bibles, 553. Ecclesiastes 1, we're beginning uh, a new series this term uh, through this Old Testament book. Uh, I think the only reason why I really had the the courage to do it is because I have the official uh, International Presbyterian Church version of Ecclesiastes, uh, this little book called Destiny by David Gibson, one of our IPC ministers in Aberdeen, um, wrote an excellent book a number of years ago. Uh, I highly recommend it and commend it to you. Uh, I said to him at Presbytery, um, you know, I'm going to do this series. I'll probably just plagiarize your book. Uh, Do you have any other uh, references you could recommend? And uh, he said that he he plagiarized from two other sources that I'm also uh, using. So uh, we we joke, we say plagiarize, but really we're just, we're we're citing our sources. This is what I'm doing here, right? So, uh, and it's on the recording. So if my presbytery asks, I've cited my sources. Um, But Ecclesiastes 1, uh, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read the first 11 verses uh, this evening. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes round to the north. Round and round goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It is already, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Amen. Again, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. We, we occasionally come across uh, books in the Bible that, that have some, some challenges for us. Uh, one example would be uh, the book of Esther. It's a, a historical account of, of God's people in exile. Uh, but, but God, God's name isn't, isn't even mentioned once throughout the, the whole book, throughout the whole story. Uh, Ecclesiastes is, is another one of these books that, that causes difficult, difficulty for us. Uh, it can be hard to understand, and, and at times it's, it's difficult to follow the argument uh, the writer seems to be, if you notice during the reading, uh, quite negative about life and the world that we inhabit. So why is it even uh, in the Bible? Uh, I think of Ecclesiastes as being a bit like uh, the Breaking Bad of Scripture. Uh, if you're familiar with this, so you're familiar with the series, obviously. Uh, if you're familiar with it, it's, it's about a, an average guy, uh, a, a high school science teacher in America, who over the, the course of the show, I think it's about six or seven seasons long, uh, becomes the principal producer of the illegal drug crystal meth in the United States. And it's not, it's not a true story, uh, and it's not an uplifting story either. Uh, rather, the, the value it, it provides is that it shows uh, the depravity uh, in the hearts of each one of us. 
It's a show that's supposed to make us stop and, and to think and to question what's, what's actually inside of me. How does a likable person become a murderous drug lord? And Ecclesiastes is actually meant to perform a, a similar purpose to, for, for us. It helps us to, to see the world as it truly is. It helps us to understand uh, why, do we, why do we struggle with the things that we struggle with. And ultimately, its purpose is to drive us to Christ, to find our meaning and our purpose amidst life, a life that feels uh, frail and fleeting. That's how we actually begin this evening as we look at the first 11 verses of of, of Ecclesiastes. Three things that we see this evening. First of all, that that life is fleeting. Secondly, that, that life is wearying. And third, that life leaves us longing for more. First, we see that, that life is fleeting. This is going to be an uplifting one, if you can tell already. <laughs> but the preacher uh, or, or the teacher begins by saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, that's how the ESV translates, translates it. Some of you may have the NIV where uh, it says, uh, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And I, I underline that because this is a good example of why we do not use the NIV. Uh, that's not a very good translation Uh, of the intent of what's being said here in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word that the preacher uses here is the word hebel, which does mean uh, something more along the lines of of vanity or futility, like we see in ESV. And we won't go into all the the passages where where this word is used, but throughout the Old Testament, the word is is used to, to, usually to, to mean something along the lines of breath, as in life is but a fleeting breath. And I won't use all of his illustrations, even though they, they tend to be better than mine, but, but David Gibson uh, uses the image of, of blowing out a candle. I've actually brought one uh, with me tonight, so I thought we'd do a little experiment. I'm going to need uh, a helper. I'm going to actually get, I'm gonna get one of Steve Clark's kids. Gus, could you come up and, and help me, buddy? I'm going to get one of Steve Clark's kids to come up because it involves fire, and I just don't want to injure one of my children. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's fair. That's fine. Yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you live closer to the A&E than I do. Uh, that's not true. But uh, I'm going to light this candle. I'm going to have you blow it out. What I want you to do is pay attention to, to the, the contrails, the puff of smoke that comes up, okay? All right. So let it burn for a second and then, yeah. Oh, you can take it. Yeah, please. There you go. Now watch the smoke. How quickly did that, did that smoke dissipate? There's no muff, is there? How long would you say that lasted? Um, one or two seconds. Yeah, one or two seconds, maybe. Maybe one or two seconds. Yeah, thank you very much. You can sit down. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how well all of you could see that. At least not the smoke. But, but this, little, this little whiff of smoke that, that remained from the flame lasted for, for but a few seconds. And that is, that is Hebel. It's this utterly uh, fleeting moment. And it's what the, the preacher, the teacher in Ecclesiastes says is, is what the life of man is like. He says that we can shine like the, the light of a candle. We can do great things, and the, but, but the earth will remain. And what, remains, what will remain of our labor? What do, we, what do we gain through all of our hard work? Well, the preacher's really clever, isn't he? Because he, he makes us come to grips with, with this one simple truth without explicitly saying it. He says, we end up in the grave, don't we? 
And all the, the accomplishments that we have will one day pass away as well. All the things that we think leave a, a mark as our legacy will be forgotten. And we, we see this everywhere, don't we? It's everywhere in our world. Uh, I heard of a, an architect or an, an engineer uh, years ago who I think he, he actually became a believer because, because of this. But he, he designed a, a suspension bridge uh, somewhere in the U.S., and this was meant to be sort of the, the great project of his life. It took him uh, years to design. It took years to build. Uh, it, was a, it was a major, major project. And then finally the day came when they were opening the bridge. And there was much fanfare. All the politicians who had paid for it turned up. Uh, all the media turned up. All the, the people who had worked on building it turned up. And, and this, this architect uh, turns up. And he's sitting there and he's, he's basking in the glory of this, this structure that he had designed and had been built. And as he, as he looked at it, he, he noticed a little something trickling down the side of this bridge. And he realized that, that it was rust. And in that, that moment, what he realized was this, this incredible thing that he had created was one day going to need major repairs. And that not only would it one day need major repairs, but, but one day, even, even after that, it was going to become obsolete and it was going to need to be replaced altogether. This, this monument to his ingenuity and his creativity that he thought would outlive him was ultimately fleeting. That's Hebel. It's, it's vanity. It's fleeting. See, we tend to try to ignore this fact, don't we? We tend to think, if, if I could just give life my all, then it's going to be okay. I'm not sure if it's still the case, but the, the shoe company Reebok used to, to have the tagline, life is short, play hard. And it, it gets us halfway there, doesn't it? It acknowledges this idea that, that life is short, but what's the solution? Well, just, just go harder. Carpe diem, seize the day. And this is why actually the scripture is so helpful for us. It's because the preacher asks the honest questions that we try to ignore. Verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? It's an interesting question to ask, isn't it? What do you gain from, from all the, your toil? Looking around this room, what do most of you do? You, you make spreadsheets all day. <laughs> you know, who, who cares, really? I bet your boss has never even put your spreadsheet on the refrigerator. My kid's artwork gets on the refrigerator. No one cares. Like, what do you gain by all your spreadsheets? It's a chasing after the wind. It's fleeting. And, and, and no computer can, can fill up with, with spreadsheets. It's like the ocean that doesn't fill up by the, isn't filled up by the streams. You're just making another spreadsheet tomorrow. And the day after that. I think it's helpful for us to, to, be, to be asking these, these kinds of questions. Because it causes us to see the, the true state of things, doesn't it? It helps us to see why we get so frustrated so easily with life. Think of all the things that you, know, you work so hard at, but you get no results from. Students feel this when they, when they work really hard, or at least pretend that they're working really hard preparing for exams, and then you don't get the marks that you think you deserve. Grown-ups feel this when you, when you put all your efforts into to getting that promotion that you, you work really hard for and you think you deserve, but then someone less qualified than you gets it. You know, we feel this in the little things of life, don't we? You know, I, my life's so hard, I feel this every, every Monday and Thursday evenings. Those are the nights when I take out the rubbish. 
and I go through the flat and I collect all the rubbish and all the recycling and I take it to the curb. But what do I find when I get up the next morning? There's just more rubbish to toss into the bin. You know, on Tuesday morning, I know Thursday evening is coming. And on Friday morning, I know Monday evening isn't very far away. What have I accomplished? When we start to, to, to reflect on these things and on the, the fleeting nature of life, and all these things that we, we think are so important to us and that really matter, and even these things that, that aren't that important, we can't help but feel left weary by life, can we? And that's, in fact, our second point. And the second thing that we see, the, the, the second point the preacher makes, that life is wearying. We all feel this, don't we? This weariness that overtakes us as, as the frustrations of life build, that sense of, of disappointment or dissatisfaction that we all feel in some manner. If you're uh, middle-aged or above like I am, you begin to question what, what you've accomplished in your life, don't you? you know, have you achieved the things you hoped to set out to achieve? Have you reached your 5, 10, 15-year plan? Did your children turn out how you, how you hoped? Are they making the same mistakes that you made or, or worse mistakes than you made? Do you have uh, financial security? Have you been recognized for excellence in your field? Have you paid off your home? Are you happy? Well, most of us are, are, are weary and tired, and, and we answer most of those questions. We, we ask those questions, and we go, I, I'm, I'm none of those things, or I'm very few of them. And most of us are at the point now where we just hope that maybe we can retire someday and have some rest. And young people feel this very differently, but you still experience it. You know, kids in school, uh, grow tired of the routines or the, the pressures of staring down exams. You fear not measuring up. In your 20s, you grow uh, weary of, of relationships and the insecurity of trying to find uh, the one. You have the weariness of trying to establish your career in the hopes that you won't uh, end up like us middle-aged folks. <laughs> tired, balding, mediocre, but the truth is you will end up like us. <laughs> you have that to look forward to. And I know what you're all thinking on this point is, Rob, you're, you're enjoying this way too much. Aren't Americans supposed to be stupidly optimistic? Are you just really depressed? No, I'm not. I just passed the life in the UK exam. I'm one of you. <laughs> but stay with me here, because this is, this is what the preacher's talking about. He says in, in verse 8, uh, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. There's, there's no words to express how weary life makes us. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What's been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been done, all, it has already been in the ages before us. But surely this is just cynicism, Right? You know, why is the preacher insisting on focusing on, on these negative things? It's, isn't religion, isn't Christianity supposed to make us feel better about ourselves? Don't we, don't we come to church to forget our weariness? If you've seen the new uh, Lord of the Rings series on, on Amazon, The Rings of Power, then you'll remember the opening scene where, where Galadriel, the elf, is, is just a, a child. And she has this older brother. And she asks him, how is she supposed to know uh, right from wrong, what is good, how is she meant to, to find the true light? 
And his answer, and, and, and spoiler alert, you find this at the end of the episode. He says to this, this young girl, uh, sometimes to find the light, we must first touch the darkness. Now, that's a potentially problematic saying, but I think, I, I think this is exactly what the writer of Ecclesiastes is, is trying to get us to do here. He's making us touch the, the darkness of our world and of our hearts. The darkness that we try to, to repress and ignore or overlook in order for us to come into the light. What the preacher is, is wanting us to come to terms with is that, that, that we aren't in control and we can't fully understand why our lives are, what, what, they, what they are, even how our world uh, works. Uh, Ian Proven, who, who's uh, a commentator on Ecclesiastes, uh, someone that, that David Gibson uh, cites, uh, he, he, yeah, that's better uh, in case he happens to listen to this. But, but he, he says of this, the, that, that the elusive nature of reality, that is the way in which it, it resists our attempts to capture it and contain it, to grasp hold of it and control it. This is true at the level both of understanding and action. The way in which the world works is in some measure comprehensible to us, yet in significant measure beyond our grasp. It, it resists our attempts to sum it up. In other words, our, our longing is to control our world and our lives and, and our reality. But that's not how the world works. Your streams flow into, into the sea, but it's never full. But the streams just keep flowing. Our ears uh, listen, but, but are never full. They're never satisfied. History seems to, to repeat itself over and over, doesn't it? Wars that were fought are fought again. Lessons that were learned by one generation are forgotten by the next. All the things that we thought we could or would accomplish in our brief lives have just left us longing for more. And that's what we actually see in our third and, and final point this evening, that life leaves us longing for more. Ecclesiastes, uh, if Ecclesiastes existed in isolation, then it would be a, a pretty nihilistic book, wouldn't it? But the whole point of it is that, that it exists within the, the broader canon of God's word. And this uh, enables the preacher later to, to point us to, to some meaningful things. But the, the point he wants to make to us this evening, and the thing he wants us to, to feel, is this, this longing for more. He wants us to, to feel that there, there should be more to life than just life itself. He wants us to, to feel the hopelessness and the weariness of life and that if this is all that there is, to, to want more. The preacher is very much answering the, the idea that that's so many express in our, our world today, that, that we should just live our best lives, that we should follow our hearts, that we should be the best version of me that I can be, that I should love myself, that I should speak my truth, that I should be kind. And what the preacher wants us to, to see is, is just how futile that is. There, there has to be something more because our, our hearts cry out for more out of the weariness of our world. And this is what brings us back to Hebel. Just because life is fleeting and just because it's wearying doesn't mean that it's meaningless. And what the preacher wants us to be asking is where and what gives this life meaning? What gives it purpose? 
That's why I think David Gibson's subtitle to his book is so good, Learning to Live by Preparing to Die. There has to be more to life than, than simply a, a slow march to death. If we're going to truly live now, then we have to ask ourselves, what are the things that last? What are the things that, that are eternal? And this is where we meet our need for the God who is himself eternal and can provide the meaning and purpose and reason for living because he made us for himself and to, to enjoy him and to, to live with him forever. And how, how we know him today and how we prepare ourselves for him will define our meaning, not just in this life, but in, in the world to come. You see, life feels wearying because we were meant to live forever. But in our most honest moments, we can see only death on the horizon. And life's frustrating because it appears just to be uh, cycles uh, and that, that history is just this unending and repeating cycle of the, the same thing over and over again. But the Christian hope is that, that it's all leading to something. See, the Christian hope is, is very different from, uh, from just the average life in this world because it breaks the cycle. The Christian hope is that the eternal has broken into our world and has crashed the cycle. Christ came to break the cycle of the, the meaninglessness that our sin created. And he came to open to us this, this new world, a new kingdom where we can live for the single purpose for which we were created, to glorify God and to enjoy him. And this is the, this is the, uh, the more that we're longing for. And this is what the preacher is driving us towards. He's, he's presented us with a, a world in which, in which God is absent. You, you notice he hasn't been mentioned at all in our passage this evening, haven't you? To put it in, in modern terms, he, he presents us with a world where there is only science. He presents us with a world that's a closed system where science can explain absolutely everything. It's a world that's, uh, that's, that's only mechanical and it's sterile and it's unimaginative. And what he invites us to see is that, that we long for more and we long for more, but so many of us are, are satisfied with the sterile world, a world that's without God and without hope. C.S. Lewis makes this point in his, his story, The, the Great Divorce. Uh, it's it's a, a, a bit of an odd, odd story, but it's the story of a, a group of uh, souls who, who take a, dead, a day trip from hell to heaven. And the thing is, they get there, and, and you would think, every, everyone thinks, well, of course they would want to be in heaven, but... but they can't wrap their minds around the place. They just can't understand it. Everything is, is sharper and clearer. They realize, uh, they, they begin to realize that they're, they're just mere phantoms. Even the grass hurts their feet because it's more real than they are. You see, they, they belong to another, another world, a world less real and a world that's far more sterile than the one that, that God has, has created for us. They don't see what they're, they're missing. In fact, they beg to be returned to the hell from whence they came. This is the, the calling of Ecclesiastes. It's the calling of the gospel to look at our world and our lives with, with real honesty and to, to question which, what world do we belong to? What kingdom do we belong in? And to be preparing ourselves for that kingdom to see the fleeting nature and weariness of, 
of what one poet calls these, these endless numbered days. As we recognize this, this weariness and the, the longing for more rises up in us, then we should let that drive us to, to look for the one thing, the one thing, the one person who can fill us. The Savior who, who broke into this, this world of unending monotony and weariness and opened to us a new world through his death and resurrection. Let us pray.